Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Talkie Talk podcast. The the Halloween episode in February? That's what I was going to say. (laughs) This is how you podcast. This is why you subscribe, right here. Uh, Please subscribe. Uh, If... uh, This is the podcast for the MediaBias.com. My name is Brent. I'm here today with TJ Yo. and Chris. Hello. And we're going to be talking about stuff we've been watching. Then we're going to round up some reality news. We will uh, talk about any news that we've noticed lately. And then uh, finish up by telling you what you should go see at the movie theater this weekend. So, who would uh, like to go first for uh watch list? I would like to pass to Chris. <laughs> All right, Chris. <laughs> So, I have been watching anything that Netflix feeds me. <laughs> so, uh, I, I didn't watch The Highwaymen, even though that's what Netflix is feeding everyone right now. But it looks interesting about the cops who were involved in the Bonnie and Clyde takedown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did watch most of, I've got one episode left of The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's like a true crime show about a British toddler who went missing in Portugal on vacation in like the late 90s. Uh, basically dis- <clears throat> disappeared without a trace. Hmm. Like, And when I say without a trace, it's not like most where it's like, oh, well, there was some evidence of a disturbance, whatever. No, this there was a, an empty bed and an open window, and then that's it. Like leftover style. Ugh. Yeah, and it was a vacation community, and there was literally no witnesses. Like, she disappeared between the hours of, like, 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. The parents had a system where they were at a restaurant that was within viewing distance of the front door of their flat. And she just disappeared. Mm. Um, Really interesting. Uh, I like watching shows like that where I don't know what it's about. Where I'm just like, oh, this is... That's fun. One of the, uh, like, investigators who was British because... It becomes kind of a political clash between Portugal and the UK. Uh-huh. Um, one of the investigators was like, if you wrote 12 documentaries about this, all looking at different angles, still no one would believe this happened. <clears throat> wow. Um, you know, it gets into all the implications and finger pointing that like, oh, the parents did it, they're covering up and stuff. So, I don't know. I just think that all that stuff is super interesting and fun to watch. You know, Netflix... Uh if they get tired of trying to compete for Oscars all the time, they could really find a niche as a uh, true crime specialty service because, holy crap, that's what they keep churning out. And that's what people keep loving. People love that I mean, shit, man. Making a Murderer got them so many subscriptions. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's the, uh, what was it? The Staircase. Abducted Without a... Something. Abducted Without a... a Is a... Abducted Without a Trace. Uh, what's that? With uh, the, about uh, the family. Abducted Lost in Plain Sight. Abducted, abducted in Plain Sight. Yeah. <laughs> We did it. We're the that experts. That was Dr. Do- <laughs> <laughs> it's today's episode. Remember a title of a thing that's popular. The, all of you. Well, do we really care about media, though, <laughs> on this show? Is that really our thing? So I'm, 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 I'm going to use that and seg into another thing that I watched that I think is really good. It's also like true crime-ish. Um, I watched uh, the Miami Show Band Massacre. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of the Miami show band or this documentary, but it's a documentary about this band that was big in Ireland during the time of the Troubles. <laughs> and their subsequent assassination, uh, which oh, wow. is crazy to think about. Yeah. But, you know, this is during the height of the Beatles and, like, big, uh, you know, the, like showroom that I didn't know that that was a thing but you know you've got your like bands who play in bars you have bands who play in arenas but then you have just like these ballrooms and hotels and bands would play there and that was I guess like a big uh, like venue stop for local bands was playing these showrooms I guess maybe kind of like like a stage similar to what you would see at like a college campus uh, but this was like the, like the biggest band in Ireland that was Ireland homegrown, and they got pulled over one night driving back and forth across the border between Northern and regular Ireland, and uh, somebody threw an explosive device in their van, intending for it to explode later and then frame the band for being terrorists, but it instead blew up on the side of the road while they were still being pulled over, and it killed three of the members. Wow. Um, and it is kind of a look <clears throat> into... 
at some point, the British government said, we will hold people accountable who, during the height of the Troubles, uh, who were responsible, like British agents who were responsible, like we will, you know, turn our government people in who had a hand in it. Uh, but their case, they never coughed anyone up. So it's about the like one band member who is still kind of searching for justice. Um, just wants to find out because at the scene there was like a British officer, and it's like you shouldn't fucking be and here. This happened like fifty years ago. No, this happened. This uh, this happened in the early eighties, late seventies. Oh, okay. Um, so almost forty years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's weird. <laughs> That that's 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem right still in my head. It was like when I told Mike that I watched Ordinary People, and he was like, why are you talking about a movie that was 40 years old? And I was like, it's not. Oh, wait, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super interesting. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I'm, I also am like woefully uneducated about the Troubles. Also, the fact that they call them the Troubles, um, referring to the conflict between the IRA and the UVF. I forget what they, they call the... Uh, the the British slash Northern Irish kind of terrorist organization, but because you know <clears throat> they were trying to put popular opinion against the IRA and the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. So everyone knows who the IRA is. Um, so yeah, super interesting. Um, I don't know why I watched it. I think it was just like here's the thing that's on and it's kind of interesting. When one of the band members in the trailer goes. The British government assassinated us and no one knows why. It's like, oh, that's weird having someone talk about how they were assassinated and they're still sitting there talking. I want to find out why this guy's alive. But. <clears throat> also on Netflix? Also on Netflix. Was he, like, injured heavily? Sorry, I'm kind of, like, reading about this because it sounds super interesting. Uh, he was not injured. The blast threw him, blew him away from the van. And then the soldiers who pulled them over, like, basically shot the people who were still around the blast. So he and the two other guys got like thrown away from the from the van into like a ditch. Huh. <clears throat> and I've never heard of any of that. It's interesting. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, I thought it was crazy because um, as as like a as musicians, you know, they were kind of allowed to pass back and forth the border without like really heavy inspection because all they were doing was you know going to a venue, playing music, and making everyone enjoy life in a time that was really dark. Mm-hmm. And so both armies, I mean, had human emotions and would just like let bands go back and forth without any trouble. Right. And so this was like a, a crazy outside thing that happened to them. Um, but it gets very conspiracy theory-ish. Um, they start talking about like former like MI6 agents, like maybe being involved in orchestrating it. And then kind of like start tying them back to all these other things, all these other bombings that happened. And it's it's just crazy. I mean, and I, I would probably say that about any documentary about that period of history and that subject. Because I just don't know enough about it. I mean, everything you hear about it in school is like, it was the Protestants versus the Catholics. But like that doesn't frame what it is at all. Um, I looked up online, like it was like 3,700 people died. Uh as a cause of all of, uh, as resulting from all of the uh, actions on either side, like, in history. So it's not, like, a huge amount of people who lost their lives for that time period, but it's still, like, not insignificant. Um, and there are still people who are, like, being attacked, like, as of, like, 2017 was the last year that there was a statistic updated. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh. So it's the, the documentary is called The Miami Showband Massacre. Sounds super interesting. Is it a movie or a series? It's a movie. Okay. About like an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah, I listened to it. I think I sent it to you because I know it's kind of your jam and Cass and Kelly. But uh, there's a really interesting podcast I listened to that's six 20-minute episodes. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you ever get a chance to listen to it? I didn't, know. You should breeze through it. It's, it's real good. You'll like it better than the girls will because full spoilers on this. They don't... It's not solved. But... <clears throat> It's very fun for the procedural points. You know yeah. what I mean? They yeah. don't they don't make you think you, that they solve it. You, you assume they don't from the get go. Yeah, um, that's similar to uh, the disappearance of Madeline McCann. Except, I both love and hate what they did with that series. Um, the 
they uh, they actually have a splash at the beginning of Disappearance of Madeline McCann that says, if you have any information about the whereabouts of Madeline, like, please call this number. Which is, like, I think an awesome thing to have in one of these true crime shows that's still, like, an open case. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, if you put this documentary out and someone goes, oh, fuck, like, I saw her in Morocco. Oh, sure. But it's also, as just, like, a media consumer, I kind of hated it because it's like, well, now I know. <laughs> now I know that this show has a an endpoint where it's never going to get past the... Like, and we followed leads, and we found this out, and we found her body, or we found her killer, but didn't find her body. Like, you, you know that it's like, the show's going to end with with everyone throwing their arms up in the air and go, oh, and we still don't know anything. Because there wouldn't be that information screen at the beginning. Right. I mean, and, and you're trying to take this back to, like, a critique of <clears throat> media, which is what we do, but I'm going to derail that. <laughs> there's, there's, I'll definitely listen to podcasts or watch true crime TV shows where... Even like at the time, like this person was writing an op-ed about it for the New York New Yorker or whatever, yeah. and somebody was like, "Oh, I saw that. I just assumed it was New York, and there were a bunch of police lights after." So I was like, well, "They don't need me. They figured out what was going on." Definitely. And like they'll call in and be like, "Oh no, there were three people there. I saw them all." Yeah. No, when I mean this happened. You know what I mean? And that, it'll like change the whole dynamic of the case or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, that that's the whole thing. Uh, I, I'm also watching, and this is, I didn't mean to, to interject this, but I'm watching the case against Adnan Syed. Uh, it's the HBO. I was about to ask you if that was Netflix or HBO. <laughs> it's HBO. Okay. It's, I'm super it's, excited to watch that. It's sitting temporarily in the Game of Thrones seat. Oh, nice. and, and it's basically running up until Game of Thrones, and then it's gone. I think it's only like six episodes. So is it like a remake or... Of the podcast, or is it an update? No, the premise of it is what you're talking about with the op-ed situation is since Serial, so many things have happened because more people who went to their school are recollecting things that Serial refreshed their memory about. Right. And so it's like, it's a lot about like the Asian McLean alibi and how... Yeah, or like somebody wouldn't know that the payphone thing was even a thing. Right. Until they listen to Serial and they're like, oh, I can verify the phone was there or yeah. whatever. And now, and, and it's a lot of Jay Wilde's old friends being like, his timeline is insane. Like, we don't know. Is like, Jay the Jay Wilde's was, crazy was Adnan's what? friend who may or may not have, like, helped him bury. Uh, like the green hair? Yeah. Dude? Okay. Uh, yeah, he's the, he's like the tall, awkward black guy yeah. who's hanging out with them. So, yeah, so that's like, that is the case you're talking about. Sure. And, I think also, I forget the name of the woman who died, but it's really famous, and it's a really famous court case too, but the <clears throat> the woman who was gunned down, who was stabbed in the streets of New York, and then the assailant ran away and then came back and killed her, like finished the job basically, Oof. and there was a bunch of people who saw it happen, and so it sparked a lot of conversation about like, you know, if, like, I think they say like 37 people watched it happen and no one did anything. Yeah. So it kind of sparked debate about like Good Samaritan laws and like what you're obligated to do as a bystander. Um, it was the same thing where the, they, they, they didn't really, they didn't catch the guy until they like ran like a news story about it, like 15 years later. And then someone who had seen it happen and was like, felt guilty their whole life was like, wait, the way that the police say this happened isn't how it happened. I have like more details about it and they ended up catching the guy. But yeah, yeah there's an interesting, super important. And one of the guys on, on the show, Disappearance of Madeline McCann is works for the international missing and exploited children foundation and he's like the best thing you can do anytime anyone goes missing is just like put their picture everywhere talk about it all the time and then like that is that with that leads to the highest success except sometimes it makes the kidnappers feel like they're on a clock yeah um yeah but no so i watched all that stuff Is there something, anything else you watched? I did. I watched two more things, and I'll be quick about them, because they weren't good. <laughs> uh, Netflix also fed me uh, the movie The Dirt. This is the, oh, Mo- the Molly Mo- Crew yeah. biopic. Oh, yeah. Uh, starring Machine Gun Kelly as... Oh, t- wait, it's Tommy actually Lee. like biopic. Like, uh, I thought it was a documentary for some reason. Oh, no. no. Oh. No one needed Better this. or worse than Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh, worse. Okay. <laughs> well... Um, make sure I don't accidentally watch it <laughs> based on music alone. Yeah, true. Well, that, soundtrack's way worse. Well, that's the thing. Like people the, from Covington, Georgia, are super excited about it, though. <laughs> I was excited about it, and Kelly was excited about it, and we were looking forward to watching it only because, like, 
I want a movie about Motley Crue to be not about like the band and their fallings in and out, and I want it to be about their antics because that's what Motley Crue was famous for. Yes, they've got a couple of songs that are okay or okay to good. Some people think great, and that's you know. I hear they like girls. Yeah, <laughs> three of them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's girls cubed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm really worried that after Bohemian Rhapsody, after this movie, uh, now that this has the splash of Bohemian Rhapsody, the bands are going to feel emboldened to rewrite their history and tell their story in a way that isn't true. And doesn't make for a good movie. Well, even that I'm less <laughs> concerned about. Like, there are bad movies that I don't watch. Like, there's, like, thousands of them. <clears throat> but... The ability for a band like Motley Crue to go, yeah, we were wild, but in the end, we loved each other. Like, we were best friends, and it's, like, have this edit out there that's like, oh, Motley Crue really went through some shit when, like, the real story is buried somewhere. Like, I think that's kind of fucked. Yeah. Like, you know, we we are all aware of the life of Freddie Mercury and the debauchery and... Bohemian Rhapsody sanitized it. Yeah. In a way that you kind of look at this, you have to look at the storyboarding of it and, and be like, it's not that they're omitting it. It's someone took that out and it's because Brian Nays executive producer. And on this, all four fucking band members are the executive producer. And it's based off a book written by all four fucking band members. Ugh. Like it's the most self aggrandizing bullshit. And it ends with a, and then the the last show Motley Crue played was to a sold out crowd in 2015 New Year's Eve. It's like, yeah, I remember that because Vince Neil sounded like fucking dog shit. But they don't play his vocals from that show. They play the vocals <laughs> off the track from the album because he also, didn't sound like shit then. It was a sold out show to like at Jimmy's Closet and Bar. I mean, they show it. It's a big like arena rock New Year's Eve like yeah. But I don't know. How do y'all want to ring in the New Year? Fucking the crew. <laughs> Let's go to a live show with the best audience ever, I bet. But they even do the, the Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> oh, thing. Oh, we've lost the Motley Crew demographic. <laughs> they don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> they don't have smartphones. <laughs> they do the... Uh, There's so many boobs in this movie. It's like... Well, that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> they treat it like, like confetti at a parade. It's just like... It's just all over the place. And it's just like a, well, Motley Crew. And it's like, yeah, but you can't throw your hands up and go, well, Motley Crue, and it'd still be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, anyway. So, I, I would not recommend The Dirt. Uh, it's a really flashy trailer, and it looks like it's going to be interesting, and it just super isn't. I was, not to keep dwelling on the shit show that was, that what felt like a shit show of this past Oscar season, but I did see somebody on a Facebook friend of mine, I won't mention his name, although he'll know who he is once he hears this. He uh, was... Like, I finally watched all the Best Picture nominees. Uh, it was finished up with Roma and A Star is Born. And he was just like, Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book are by far the best films of the year. <laughs> and I was just like, yep. that's He's like the perfect represent, representation a, of the masses. That is a different take. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel like there are lots of people out there, especially that, that fucking love both those movies. I I'm think sure that they're incredible. I'm sure there are a ton of people who, who said that... Uh, uh, Switchblade Ridge, Hacksaw Ridge was the best movie that year, and that Hidden Figures was the best movie that year. American Sniper, yeah, yeah. Ameri- oh, definitely. People who said American <laughs> Sniper was the best movie of that year, and that's be- fine. People like the military, <laughs> weird, and, and space. <laughs> Chris pointed at his NASA hat. <laughs> so, for, I'm a- for a good comedic effect on the podcast. I have a really, really bad story to tell off mic. Later. Fun. Well, Let's get to it then. <laughs> no. What else do you watch? Uh, I watched another Netflix original television show. I watched all of it. I watched the whole season. I watched a show called The Order. Uh, I thought it was called All of It. <laughs> no. I watched The Order. It's about witches versus werewolves, and I watched it all, and it's stupid. <laughs> if this were not on Netflix, it would be on the CW, and it would be watched by like 10,000 people who are very excited about it, and then that's it. And they would make 10 seasons of it. Like, people are just like, I just need something to get me to the new season of The Vampire Diaries. <laughs> it felt like Wichita, the fake show <laughs> on uh, 
Uh, Brent had never watched uh, oh, Love. Yeah, it's it's the it's the, the show within the show on yeah, Love. It's the Lampoon's like teen witch drama. <laughs> set in Wichita, Wichita called Wichita. It's great. <clears throat> um, except it's 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 Netflix and it's TVMA, so they get to say the word fuck. Oh. Is there anybody we know in the show? No. Mm. <laughs> it's probably for the best. In my head, I've created the new Netflix show, all of it, starring. Uh, Selena Gomez and 2009's Kefra. After seeing The Order, you're actually wrong with that casting. You need to cast nobodies. Okay. Uh, except, I'll do it. Throw my hat in the ring. Except one of the women from the Werewolf uh, Order is the voice of Katara from Avatar, The Last Airbender. So, that's cool. Who, what, what order is the titular order? Uh, it is the Order of the Blue Rose. <clears throat> and it's a secret God. society in a college. <laughs> <laughs> Go rub the microphone. So it's an Y'all don't need to hear this. So, so now that you asked questions, I'm going to tell you the plot. <laughs> Sorry, Brent, and everyone. That's so, listening. story follows this kid whose mother committed suicide. And <laughs> what are you laughing about, you monster? You just didn't figure it would be, like, serious-ish? <laughs> no, I just don't care, but keep going. And, uh, and his dad left them when his mom committed suicide, so he lives with his grandfather, and <laughs> I don't understand why you're laughing. I can laugh silently. The trick y'all are laughing loudly as you tell the story. And so, uh, <clears throat> they... The kid and his grandfather think that the dad killed the mom. So, as part of it, he decides to go to this school to become a member of this order, which is apparently responsible for, like, every president ever. It's basically, like, the skull and bones. Um, or whatever the real one is. That's the real one. Yeah, okay. Are all yeah. the presidents vampires? Who knows? Oh. They could all be witches. Because, <laughs> as it turns out, the uh, order... They'd be warlocks. Women can't be presidents. <laughs> The Order of the Blue Rose is the witch society, and that's probably how they have so much influence over the world. And then we find out that the guy's dad is the head of the order. Ah, crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but then he gets attacked by a werewolf, and then the werewolf skin chooses him, Silverback, and he joins the Knights of St. Christopher. And the Knights of St. Christopher have uh, sworn an oath to stop bad magic. And so he's kind of like, am I in the Order, am I in the Knights? And then that's where the conflict plays out. Well, how's it end? I <laughs> uh, can't tell you. you got to watch it. Yeah, let's just save nope. a little mystery for it. Yeah, so go watch The Order. I actually really enjoyed watching it, because it's just like a campy fucking... Like, Is it ten episodes at three minutes an episode? <laughs> it's uh, sort of like brain... It sounds like just like brainless TV that you can just put on and, and just absorb while yeah. you do other things. Yes. I couldn't sleep one night, and so I just turned it on and kept hitting next episode. Mm -hmm. And then, by the morning, it was over, and I was still awake, and I was upset. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, you had a fun week. Yeah, I managed to watch stuff, despite having a really busy work week, too. But I just managed... I would get home, and I'd throw something on, and then nice. go, so... Watch you, Breeze. What did I watch this week? So, I missed last week's watch this. I'm going to be uh, really catching up in the last couple weeks, which is still not that much. Uh, I watched... I mean, there's three movies I want to talk about. Uh, one is... Uh, I finally got around to watching Bird Box, which was... Uh, Alright. Yep. <laughs> also with Machine Gun Kelly in it. Yeah. What it's happened to those characters? They just disappear. Uh, like, there's, halfway there's through the movie. Fucking... Page long Reddit threads. Yeah, on what happened to them. There's fan fiction on it now. They're they were bad people. Um, it had some good moments of suspense in the movie, and uh, I thought you know, it's like one of those you know we talk about like certain settings being like cheat codes, and I think like Northern California qualifies because it just yeah. makes everything prettier. Um, but man, I just uh, I really just did not care that much about the characters in Bird Box. Nope. And I found it tough for it to be that compelling, man. Also, there's a, a not to... Don't get excited, Katie. We're not doing this as a thing. But I read the book right before the movie came out. <laughs> Chris just left. Chris left out of when I said book. Um, but the book, though, there was a very real... We've all seen the movie now, right? Yes. Okay. 
so there's a real, very real sense of dread in the book that she was going to pretty much sacrifice the girl when they're going down the river. Yeah, but she has to sacrifice one of them. Right. And you really thought in the book like she was going to do it, and then she has like a literal last second change of heart, and she's like, we just got to go blindfolded and just go for it, kind of. But in the movie, did you ever feel like she was going to like kill one of those kids? No. Yeah. I know that they talked about that, but they talked about it in like the most hokey way, where they're like, oh, to get down that river, someone has to be watching the rapids, and it's like, oh, okay. Also, like, yeah, like what like, good is that girl really going to do? Here's yeah. what you need on the rapids. You need Ted Mosby's like Super Bowl goggles. <laughs> Remember those? Yeah. Where it's just like the is all the sauce in here. The sensory deprivation. <laughs> sensory de- so like you're just looking at the rapids. You can't see anything else. <laughs> those monsters. Those scary looking monsters are gonna have to get real wet and wild to mess you up. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the monsters that are just on this. What were those shitty Wee. like spring break videos from like New Orleans that would. Remember those? Girls like, Gone Wild? Yeah. Yeah. That's what those monsters are. There's <laughs> Girls Gone Wild. <laughs> but monsters. They're on the spring break in fucking Humboldt County. They're, they're just they're just shooting shooting whatever that river is in a big raft with a cooler floating behind them. <laughs> and Sandy B's like blindfolded going down. You <laughs> say, like, I don't know why everyone's blindfolded. Everyone's so mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> what we did was took a bunch of shrooms. <laughs> fucking having fun. Spring break. <laughs> I feel like sometimes... Rob Nader, 2020. Some, some monster movies, like, you need... You don't need defined monsters. Right. Like, you don't need explanation of monsters. Did you want one in this one? I wanted one in this one. Yeah, I think the, the author has had some interviews now, and she was like, well, it's like, they, they just, like, embody your deepest fears. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. I mean, the best... The, the most compelling part of that is the first, like, ten minutes of Bird Box. Is anytime anyone sees the monsters, their eyes go blood red, and then they just like Sarah Paulson their car over. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when they're like all at the house, like the human drama is interesting, but it's not interesting enough because you're right, you don't really care about the characters. Like you start to kind of give a shit about John Malkovich because yeah. he's like, oh, you're an asshole and you're surviving. I think I would want to be the same way too. Yeah, he seemed the most realistic, like the most realistic character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. It's all right. It's it was a little disappointing. It is shocking though that that was the sensation that it was to me. I, it's it's San, we, I think we under under underestimate Sandy B. Yeah. You know, her pull for the masses. Yeah, I mean, I watched it like the. It's week also it like a horror out. movie that's not scary, so people could be like, "Yeah, watch it." I also don't think it's bad. I think it's like middling. Yeah, it's if it came out in the if it was a theatrical release, it would have come and gone. Nobody would have thought about it. Yeah, man, there was a really funny moment there. Cassandra, who kind of infamously in our group hates certain actors and actresses for somehow loves um uh the horror t- American horror story. Yeah. And loves the true crime shit. I like, love the OJ thing. But just hates looking at Sarah Paulson's face. So hilariously when Sarah Paulson dies at the beginning of Bird Box, Cassandra just goes, Oh, nice <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jesus I'm trying to think. Her list is John Cusack, Vince Vaughn, Sarah Paulson. Those are by far the top three. Yeah. Well, speaking of Sarah Paulson, I watched also another Sarah Paulson movie this week. I watched Ocean's 8. Oh, uh, yeah. I watched that recently, too. Uh, I have, too. And uh, speaking of Sarah Paulson movies that I will describe as fine, <laughs> uh, Ocean's 8 was fine. Like my review of Ocean's 8 was like, oh, they got everything right. They just forgot to put a story in the movie. <laughs> a compelling story. Compelling, right. Because it's just, it's just rehashing Ocean's 11. It is just hitting the major beats from Ocean's 11 without... Uh, unfortunately, they they got a great cast together. Yeah, and I actually would love to see this cast reunite for another heist movie, but with a script and a director who knows how to film it. They should add one person to their gang, also, and they should call it Ocean's Nine. Yes, <laughs> man. The Brent made a good point, which I had thought of when I watched it for the first time. But it was like. Why would you get Rihanna in a movie, like the most beautiful person on earth, in a movie, and then put her in like flannel and fucking flannel, huge jackets, and put her in dark corners in, a, in front of a computer the whole movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like uh, I love Rihanna. She's an incredible talent. She ain't the best actor. <laughs> so why are we putting her? In... Especially as the character Nine Ball, which is, <laughs> she doesn't like. I get it. Like, she uses a nine ball as her, like, data storage, and then also as her, like, mouse ball, but, like, why, why did, why does the hacker in every movie have to be fucking insufferable? It's like, like from Goldeneye with, like, Boris, <laughs> like, they went from there and went, oh, everyone hates hackers, 
So let's make them all suck. Yeah, it's like, why like actual nerds hate Big Bang Theory. Yes, Big Bang Theory is liked by people who are not anywhere near that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I saw Ocean's Eight also, and I was I th- it made me think that the other Ocean's movies are bad movies. Because when it did like the big like reveal at the end, I was just like, "That's cheating!" Like they they can't they can't keep making twist endings and then go only the characters in the movie know and we didn't show you any clues that there was going to be this twist. Like that's bad filmmaking. Uh, absolutely, they need to put threads <laughs> in there for viewers. Me and Brent were talking uh, yesterday, comparing the characters from Ocean's Eight to Ocean's Eleven, like matching them up. And I was like, oh, they didn't have the, like, Grease Man, though, like, the acrobat. He was like, yeah, they did. <laughs> the exact same it's one. The same one. Because <laughs> yep. the they realized, they're like, oh, we can't do any heist. <laughs> like, he's the MVP of every heist, basically. Yes. <laughs> he gets into a small box, and then he gets out, and he, like, does flips and shit. <laughs> he essentially flies, is what Brent said. <laughs> flies through the laser grid, which there's still a laser grid. There's a laser grid in 2001. Laser grids have not been updated in 18 years. <laughs> they don't even need to be updated. You just need more. You just need to make them, like, Chinese guy proof. Like, this guy has now successfully broken into three highly secure, like, vaults, museum exhibits, and banks. Like, design something just to beat this one guy. Because he's the only guy who's about, doing these. How about this? Instead of just, like, placing your a bunch of... A handful of lasers like every few meters through a room why don't you just put them all around the thing that you're trying to protect or make like, a sh- centimeters apart like a mesh of lasers <laughs> like right a laser around. blanket yes <laughs> and put it on the thing maybe they'd have to pay by the laser how do you <laughs> this is too expensive i think you... that one i think i stole that joke from uh uh the family guy star wars spoof when they, the droids escape, they're like, we don't detect any life forms on that ship. And it's like, okay, don't waste any lasers. <laughs> Those things are expensive. <laughs> how, how do they determine, because even like, I think the 90s and early 2000s were rife with like, well, I guess lasers are a thing that everyone's going to use now. And that you would show these like weird angles that lasers are pointed at. <laughs> No, like, they don't make sense. Who decides those? <laughs> like, it's like, what? Is, is the guy from Metropolis out there deciding like, the angles of these lasers? Topical reference. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like one of those inflatable arm-waving mans. That's yeah. who decided where the lasers yeah, should like, go. Also, I've been to Stone Mountain. They don't carve that mountain up every fucking Saturday night in the summer. Lasers just don't hurt that bad. <laughs> All lasers are the same, right? Like, yeah, well, like, why do lasers need to go to all parts of that giant room in, in the art gallery? Yeah. Like, like, put it at I the feel door. like if someone wants to just sneak into the corner of the <laughs> ceiling, let them have it. I still don't know why they're just... Hereditary like, mom is fine. Having, instead there. of having twice as many lasers, they just decide to, like, randomize them. <laughs> like, just get two more, then have them all be still. Yeah, it's some security consultant with a clipboard was like, and then we're going to want one there, <laughs> and we're going to want it to point directly at the ground. <laughs> and then there, and it's going to kind of be upward towards so, the skylight. So if somebody gets in here, I want them to do two black flips and, like, have, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones booty from that other movie. Yeah, like... <laughs> Entrapment? Yeah. Entrapment. Let's, like, I wonder if, like, the security firm is just like, okay, well, we can, like, completely protect your... Your item. Do you want that? Or for like a hundred bucks cheaper, we can protect it from everyone except gymnasts. <laughs> like, oh, we can save a hundred bucks. All right, let's do that. I mean, what's the Venn diagram on gymnasts and thieves? It's only a $150 million necklace. There's just the one Chinese guy. <laughs> as long as he doesn't show up. Do we have him in custody? No. Eh, well, we'll risk it. All right, but we're going to catch him. We're going to put him in a cell. What's the cell made out of? Lasers. <laughs> I got this. Lasers yeah. is the key. We just got to figure out how to use it. Yeah, Ocean's Eight, not very good. <laughs> was, yeah, I was talking to someone at a, a shindig, and we were ranking the Ocean's movies, and we think it's Ocean's Eleven, Thirteen, Eight, Twelve. Twelve is pretty bad. I need to rewatch it. I I don't know how I feel about Twelve. I would I would definitely say Eleven, Thirteen, Eight. In that order, yeah. in some way. I don't know where I put 12. I'd probably put 13. Uh, 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 yeah. Yes, I'd agree. Yeah. 11 is a five-star movie for me. It's it's just super fun. I love it. I love 11. Yeah, it's so good. Um, but this was, yeah, it, it just... 
they got the cast together, and like I hate hating on this movie because I know there's a bunch of people who hate it. You're on this hating movie. on it for the right reason, though. Yes, yes. Well, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. I'll follow. Yeah. So, anyway, I was disappointed, but uh, then it well maybe not disappointed. I didn't have high expectations when I turned it on. Yeah, I did not either. Look, well, the movie came, we, we all saw it streaming, so the movie came and went without much hubbub. Mm-hmm. Then the the last movie I watched. <laughs> what did you watch, Mister Toad? No, uh, the uh, Bird Box monsters in here. Did you just saw his <laughs> deepest mirrors? <laughs> Stuffed frog. Uh, last movie I watched is uh, a recommended movie uh, from the nineties called Living in Oblivion. It's uh, who recommended it? It's a little do what? Who recommended me it? to you just now? Okay. <laughs> I thought you watched a movie that was recommended. Right. right. It's not like amazing. It won't blow you away, but it's a it's a comedy about uh, Steve Buscemi in a starring role for once. Oh, cool! Which is nice. Uh, he is a uh, movie director, like an indie movie director. Um, Catherine Keener is the star of his movie, uh, and there's a little ensemble cast. Uh, wait, is it Dermot Mulroney or yeah. Delbert Dylan McDermott? McDermott. No, it's Dermot Mulroney plays like his uh, kind of idiot cinematographer, which is a different. Tone for Dermot Mulroney for sure, uh, but it's a. I hate the way you say Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> Dermot, Dermot, the more I say it, I can't say it. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. It's a comedy, but it's uh, it's sort of like it, um, mixed with oh yeah, with uh, I think it reminds me of what like Eight and a Half was doing. So there's like a lot of like dreams in the movie mm. of just like a filmmaker's fear of trying to get his movie done. And so you have to watch people do takes over and over again, and it gets to be kind of funny at times where they're just, like, having to redo. Like, things keep going wrong every okay. take. Like, finally the actors all get it right, and then some, you know, some car will drive by their shooting location with, like, music blaring or something, and it will ruin everything. <laughs> so, uh, it's, a, it's a short little movie. It's pretty entertaining. I love Catherine Keener. And yeah, it's great. this movie, you can just tell this movie just adores the fact that it has her on set. And so, yeah. Uses uh, her well. Yeah, it uses her really well. Nice. Steve Buscemi, too. So, it's a fun little movie about making movies. But, uh, and I recommend it. I think it's on Canopy, maybe? Okay. Hmm. I, mean, I don't know. But, uh, I'd recommend it if anyone ever gets around to that. So, ah, that's it. That's it for me. Let's talk about Survivor. Let's do... Dude. 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 Come on, dude. Come on, man. Talk about Survivor, dude. Just talk about it already, man. I want to leave the show. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Reem's everybody's favorite, right? Uh, She's the fan favorite? I would... No. No. I don't want... Does anybody like her in real life? <laughs> I bet she, I bet she is a way different person than what the edit is showing her as. Yeah, and she's actually super likable. Yeah, no, I was so I was tired of her and Keith after the one episode. They're just so weak compared to everyone else, and that's like a, like a rude thing to say. But like, you're getting people who either love the show and are great strategic players, or they are strong competitors, and both of them are neither. So here's the thing though, like you get those players like Reem or like Natalie from last season, and they work sometimes. And like Natalie was great fucking television. Yeah. yeah. But she left after three episodes and never fucking came back. And if she was there for twelve fucking episodes and she was like the sixth person who read it out, it would have become insufferable. Right. And uh yeah, Reem is just sitting there and she's the loudest person by far on Extinction Place. Mm-hmm. Island. <laughs> we well, well, got the hard word right. <laughs> Where's that place they film? Uh, an isthmus? No. Extinction Atoll. Uh, yes. They're just fucking miserable. Uh, who the fuck casted? Who put Keith on the show? What casting director was like, this guy's got something. Because he's not good TV and he's not good at the game. I don't know why yeah. he was there. He's like... He's like in in the MTV's The Challenge when they put someone on there and the person's like, I don't know how to swim. And it's like, why are you on this show? They just have to swim all the time. The one season of The Challenge I watched, yeah, it was like two teams and you're going to dive into the bottom of this like swimming hole in this river and yeah. pick up all these things. And it was like, 
we got a problem. Our team can't swim. <laughs> like, our team can't swim. None of us. Yeah. And then it's like, you get someone like Keith, and it's like, this guy can't do anything. No. He got like a 30-minute head start <laughs> and still didn't figure out what was Chris going on. Chris beat him up a mountain when he was gone for half an hour. Chris ate lunch and then was like, I guess I gotta go tackle Keith. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and just like hiked up the mountain and found him. <laughs> and bowled him over. And then when they were like, can we all just agree that nobody's going to run off and like start hunting? Like, because I think they initially thought it was going to be the same kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> Keith was just like, no promises. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the cast has been a little bit of a dud for me still this season. Yeah. Um, but there were two people I saw on the immunity challenge that. They were like, Aurora, out, finally. And I was like, who, who now? Yeah. And then the girl who won, I was like, I've never seen her. Yeah. That happens when, like, single tribes dominate, like, first oh, sure. halves yeah. of the season. You get to the merge and you get to meet people for the first time because yeah. they haven't had to talk strategy for... Yeah, I mean, like, you had six people lighting torches for the first time at the merge. Mm-hmm. Um, like, on the c- contrast that, though, you can name everyone who's been to Extinction Island. Yeah. Not just because... But they were all at Tribals. Right. They were all yeah. at Tribals, but not even that, but because I think that represents not just, like, the theme, but, like, the most important part of this game in particular. Like, that there's one alliance that's kind of cruising is irrelevant. Like, sure, someone might win from there, but that's not what is interesting. Yeah, I, I'm having a hard... Like, I think about the way the story of the season has been told so far, and I have to think that the big storylines are all coming from the Wentworth David tribe. Yeah. Know? Like the Rick Devins and Wardog and Kelly and Lauren and, and Wardog. <laughs> it was like, what? Oh, I didn't know I could use my shoulder in like a rotating motion. <laughs> Throw this beanbag at that thing. You're just like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? I love snarky Jeff Probst, as always. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. We're finding out real fast in this challenge who's never thrown a baseball before. <laughs> and he's like, War Dog hasn't. He like calls out yeah. War Dog. War, yeah. War Dog, they had to like ring that hoop and throw the ball with rope. And he just threw the ball in the hoop and then let the rope go. Like, it. <laughs> What's next? They're like, oh, they got the rope. So turned around on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he wanted me to hoop that ball. For like War Dog, too. Like, I'm War Dog. I'm like. Take shit from anybody. I'm, I'm a law student. Yeah, I've, I've served in every challenge. Every challenge. I was like, "Don't yell at me!" <laughs> <laughs> God, what's wrong with you? He's really bad at challenges. And remember, like his first day in the eye, he's like, "I know that I'm going to be a target because I'm a big physical threat." It's like, actually, you're not. No, you're not threatening he's not the, anybody. He's, yeah, he's not a. The, he's more of a physical threat than David, but not Lauren or Whitworth. Yeah. He's more of a physical threat in, like, if you wake up in the middle of the night and he's awake standing over you, it's like, oh, that's threatening. <laughs> that can be said for anybody. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so the story of this season's really kind of bizarre. I think that, that, that Jeff really was excited that he got to reveal kind of the theme of the season. <laughs> Could you tell? Yeah. My God, I thought he was never going to shut up about how iconic this moment was about to be. Yeah. <laughs> Some moments are iconic the minute they happen. Get on with it, Jeff. <laughs> I do like that he was like, who wants to go back to Extinction Island? Make the decision now. And everybody was like, well, yeah. And the two of them got back and they were like, wait, I fucked up. No. <laughs> I want to go. I read, I read the interviews with both of them. Uh, they were like, yeah, we, we got caught up in the excitement of Jeff telling us that we get to keep playing the game. Well, you know there's a way to get out, so there's no reason to say no. Right. You and, say yes and think about it. And they were like, then we went back to camp and realized, like, oh, it's just going to be this some more. Uh, yeah, we're out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet Reem was talking the whole time back, and they were like, fuck this. We quit. I bet Chris and Aubrey were like, oh, take Reem with you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it should be. That should be the... Uh, the, the next season's, like, theme. It's just not, like... Survivor Reem Island. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like Survivor with... Uh, you have to go to this island where you're you're on a small island with Reem and Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> the only people There's all the food you want, but Reem's here. <laughs> the only people that are excited that Reem is on the show are her family because they get to be away from her for 40 days. <laughs> That's so mean. That's so mean. I said, I bet she's better in real life. It's probably a bad edit. 
I mean, they're definitely playing up the, yeah. the villainry some. Yeah. But, I mean, she also just, like, I don't know, none of her, like, heartfelt moments come across as heartfelt. She was like, Survivor is huge for me. It's that, like, don't call me, don't interrupt me. Kids come in and watch with me. <laughs> like, wait, which is it? <laughs> How does this happen? Sorry, I, I turned this into a hate ream hour. I didn't mean to. <laughs> so, uh, do we have any... Uh, how do you... Do, I'm really hoping this season. I really hope the the tribal lines start blurring quickly soon because that's the one thing that I'm not that makes for a boring season. Sometimes is when it's just uh, tribe versus tribe after the merge. Mm-hmm. You think about like David versus Goliath, and they were working with each other constantly after the merge. Well, the thing is, depending on, we don't know how long, how many extension island people are going to be able to get back in, but they're going to flip tribes. Like, when Joe comes back in, he's not going to join back up with his people who voted him out. You know what I mean? So, maybe that'll help that a little. I mean, if the Kama 6 just whittles down all the old Lessu people, it's going to be... It's going to make a, a, a season that hasn't been that exciting even less exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should pick off... They should pick off Wentworth and pick off David. They should fill off... Now that they've put Joe on Extinction Island, they need to fill Extinction Island up with everybody that is a physical threat. Yeah. To make sure at least only one of them comes back. Right. And then hope you can beat that one person and send them right back. Yeah. that That's what their goal has to be now that they've sent Joe there. I don't think Joe was the best move, but it wasn't horrible either. I mean, Joe's, Joe's a winner if he makes it to the end, I think, so. Yeah. But, I mean, he's not, he's not out and you knew he wasn't out by sending him there. You know what I mean? I just don't know. I don't know. You think that they should have kept him around to so that when they voted him out, it was a death blow and not just like a half measure? Maybe. Hmm. Or used him to get you a little further in the game and, you know what I mean? Especially if you're his allies, because if he starts winning rewards to share, right? you know, he's well, not picking you if he makes his way back into the game now. It's also interesting because I don't think that, I don't know, Brent, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that Joe plays a very like, cunning game. So, if you have Joe's word that he's going to stick with you, I think he's probably going to stick with you. Right. He, yeah, he's... Definitely not like a strategic threat, a big one. No. Right. No, he's he's not uh, completely, like, vapid or anything. No. uh, Yeah. But then again, I also think that he, like I uh, said this off air that he said I think he showed up on the season saw that there were only four returnees knew that he was going to be target number one and was just like well I just have to basically just hope I'm playing with some idiots out here who will just take me in a good alliance to the end it's that's that is one of the only two possible strategies he had that could work the other one being he should have played like Tony Vlachos and just was like chaos all the time because maybe if he's just complete utter chaos People can't control him, and and he can sow distrust in everyone else. But that's also not Joe's style. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, anything else on on Survivor at the moment? My it'll, it'll, it'll pick up. My winner pick is uh, is is hanging in there. So it, is mine. It's uh, I think everybody's as as long as you didn't pick Reem or <laughs> Wendy Keith. Well, Reem's still alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Although I would still give Wendy a better shot of winning than at <laughs> 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 the current time. Um, yeah, I think Eric, the firefighter, was uh, he's he's one of the few people on that tribe that I think's calculating and, and playing pretty well. Yeah. Plus, we've seen him a little bit more than we've seen Aurora. His alliance with Gavin, I think, is really good. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the alliance within the Comma Six, which is always a good. I know that everyone already has that second step planned out, but it's the one that we know about, mm-hmm. which makes me think that that's going to be important. Right. All right, well, what do we got in uh, terms of uh, Breezy on the Street? News. Yeah, a little bit of news. Uh, casting news. Hmm. Uh, not the name that's big as much as uh, the age and gender. One of the, the lead actress, Ivan Reitman said, for Ghostbusters 3 has been cast. Oh. And it's uh, McKenna Grace. Who is currently twelve years old? Oh, cool. Um, know her from. So she is uh, in Captain Marvel. She plays young Carol Danvers. Dan- Danvers. Okay. Uh, she played young Tanya Harding in I Tanya. Okay. Um, so she's got a lot of like those kind of roles. 
she's in Amityville, The Awakening. She's in Independence Day Resurgence. And then uh, she had a recurring role in Crash and Bernstein, which is a Disney show. (laughs) (laughs) Um... She's a, she's one of the kids uh, in uh, the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Okay, which is a show I recommended. Yeah, so apparently it's gonna have like a very old set. Uh, it's gonna be like a, a sequel to Ghostbusters Two. Yeah, it's gonna have an old set of Ghostbusters. No word if that's gonna be like Hudson or Aykroyd or Murray. Yeah, and a very very young set of like new up and coming Ghostbusters who are like gonna take the mantle, like teenagers. Yeah, that's been the rumored script for a while. Was yeah. that they were gonna do like a passing of the torch. Of the '80s iconic Ghostbusters to a new class, right? Um, which is part of the reason why people were upset at Answer the Call because, you know, people bring their stupid expectations into movies, and then when they don't meet them exactly, they go, "This movie's bad." Uh, and yeah, we talked about that some yesterday, <laughs> and not really like look internally at, you know, yeah, taking expectations into movies. So I'm excited that that is so that kind of seals the deal. And there yeah. is a like preteen almost age of Ghostbusters, so it sounds interesting. Yeah. That's really all I got, though, for Breezy. Uh, I haven't checked Facebook. There's been a lot of activity, and I've just been too busy this week. Yeah. I know some people posted articles there on some things. Uh, I think it's been... Facebook has just been trailers. Um, Borderlands 3 got announced uh, by uh, Gearbox. Surprising nobody. I mean, the guy, the CEO of that company, Randy Pitchford, has been uh, basically confirming it Like every time he tweets something out. Like, he'll do, like, mocap, and he'll be, like, doing motion capture for one of our biggest games. And it's like, you mean Borderlands 3? And then he'll, like, post, like, some, like, graphics test to be like, check out this crazy cell shading for this game that's coming up. And it's like, you mean Borderlands 3? <laughs> and then the reveal stream for it, because uh, GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference, happened last week, and PAX is happening this week, so it's a busy week in games. Um, the uh, Was him, he's a he's a, an amateur magician. Also, this guy, Randy Pitchford, somehow. Um, well, I guess all magicians are kind of amateur. Uh, but he did a magic trick to show the reveal of Borderlands 3, which was long as shit. And I don't know if it was played for comedy or not, but uh, it was pretty insufferable. So Borderlands 3 is coming out. Put out a trailer. It seems like it's less edgy than Borderlands 2, so... Nice. So apparently Epics has a uh, show coming out this summer. Oh. A... Uh, this is the, the the comic book origin story literally no one needed. Uh, Superman. It's, it's going to be called Pennyworth. <laughs> oh, God, really? Me- Alfred? Alfred before he became Batman's butler. But <laughs> <laughs> he was just a normal person's butler. <laughs> so is this, is this a uh, precursor for Homescapes? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> what? I... I is it ever implied that Alfred did anything interesting before he worked for the so in, the Waynes? At least in some form of the Batman story, I have seen Alfred referred to as like a like an old like war medic or something. Well, he spent time in that he was a he was guarding diamonds. They talk about that, remember? <laughs> yeah, in the Dark Knight Rises, because he stuck, talks about the story of the bandits. Yes, <laughs> some people are want to watch the wild fire. <laughs> yeah. Some people don't like diamonds too much. <laughs> <laughs> if that's your takeaway from that story, you should be Batman. <laughs> Some uh, people but, say diamonds as yo-yos. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, okay. Any more news on Pennyworth or? No, that's a. I read that headline <laughs> and I was done with that. But that was just. Uh, I got some movies that are coming out this week. I have more news. Say it then. Why you trick me? Because they say this is a couple busy weeks for games. Uh, <laughs> so Apple and Google are both getting into the video game business in a serious way. Uh, Apple just announced that it has a paid subscription service um, doing what it should have done a long time ago. It's going to have a curated selection. You just pay one monthly fee for it and you can download games willy-nilly. Uh, and Google has released their concept. You can't call it like a system or a platform yet. It's called Stadia. Uh-huh. And it's... a uh, going to be a play anywhere on any Google device uh, streaming games. They're trying to be... They've bandied about the term Netflix for games in the industry for a long time. And then Google's taking their stab at it. Um, any so, Google device. Any Google device. So if you have a... But only Google devices? Yes. Because they're not going to 
launch it on someone else's. They're not going to be on an iPhone. Like, Apple's a competitor. Are they going to be, like, on computers? Yes. Okay. It's going to be on computers. It's going to be on... If, if, if you have, a like, a Fire Stick. Like not a Fire Stick. What do they call the Google ones? Chromecast. You can get them on your Chromecast. Okay. And so the idea behind that is that you, sitting at home right now, don't have a graphics card that can play, like, whatever game. That's fine. We have a server somewhere that has those cards in them. And we're just streaming you the video of you playing... And we're taking your inputs from your controller and streaming them to that computer somewhere in our server farm. Okay. So it's the idea is to make all games accessible to everyone, increase the graphics without having to increase your like your take take a hit on your wallet upgrading your computer. Right. Um, it's a really interesting idea, um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, yeah. Anything that pushes like a medium forward, I'm in favor of. Hell yeah. Um, so that's kind of the big news. Stadia. Seems interesting. The Apple thing is also interesting. Almost like if it's priced correctly, would be worth it. Because if you get, if it's twenty dollars a year for the Apple game thing, and you like buy two games a year, then it's like you've already paid for it. Right. Um. But we'll see. Neat. It's kind of a wild west right now. And also, just a tad bit of uh, movie news. Uh, I know everybody's gearing up for Endgame next month. Or I guess by the time you're listening to this, this month, yes. and uh, the runtime is the record longest for a Marvel movie, uh, 182 minutes, three hours and two minutes of Avengers. Um, cool. So <laughs> bonkers. So buckle up. Now, do y'all want to know what's coming out this weekend? Yes, TJ. 2019. <laughs> remake. Okay, so this is a teen remake of a 2009 movie. Uh, Pet Cemetery is coming out. Jason Clark, Amy Simons, John Lithgow. Let's see those trailers. The new trailer that we got when we saw us in the theater was fucking horrifying. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, much anticipated and maybe the best non-Marvel superhero movie in a while is coming out this weekend. Yeah. Shazam. Shazam. Is coming out. Uh, critics have been in love with it so far. So there's that. And then there's this movie called The Best of Enemies, which also looks like it's going to be pretty good. Oh, I, I saw this. Isn't this like another, like, look at this unlikely friendship between a white person and a black person movie? <laughs> like, like let's... It's based if, on a real story. If Green Book can do it, so can we. Uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a little little more than that. Just because it's, it's the KKK guy and the black rights activist woman who ended up actually being, like, friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's I mean, Sam where Vigo was like kind of racist, this guy's a grand dragon or something, so it's a little, I don't know, it seemed a little more interesting. It's also Sam Rockwell and Taraji P. Henson, yeah. um, which are good, but yes, is the exact same as Green Fucker! <laughs> I just feel like that's slightly racist <laughs> to be like, great, another movie with black and white people hanging out together. Not that's what you meant, but you know, right. I just don't want it to come across that way. <laughs> right, no. <laughs> um, and I think most weeks I'd probably pick Best of Enemies. Um, I'm going to say Shazam for me. That'd be my wreck. Although, any of these, really fun. I would say Shazam also. From the first trailer drop, I've been excited about this movie. It looks fun. It's hoping that DC can get their tone right. Yeah. I am certainly looking forward to that and Pet Cemetery both. I'm going to go with Pet Cemetery just because uh, the the Stephen King Renaissance has been in full swing for now a couple years and been doing well. And so I'd like to I'd like to see this movie. I'd like for it to continue the uh, good King movies. And I think we're all ignoring Dark Tower. We're all fine with that. So go see Pet Cemetery or yeah. Shazam or make it a double feature. Go make see it both. A double feature. Uh, anybody got anything else? Nope. Take us out, Breezy. That's it. All right. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Talk, podcast for the media by us. Tweet, tweet, Gmail. You know what to do. <laughs> and uh, subscribe. Give us a rating. Join our Facebook groups. If you don't know where to find us now, God help you. <laughs> uh, I say many word with your Dietrich. <laughs> this has been media by us. Tweet, Google, Gmail, Facebook. See you later. <laughs> I waste time to say lot word with you word, Dietrich. Uh, I, uh, I want to thank the Willow Walkers for the intro music. Thank you. And I want to thank Boo Reefer for the outro music. Boop, boop, boop. And I want to thank you for Bye. your music at home. Bye.
Kicking rocks down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know 